We turn to the reading of God's Holy Word. We're in Matthew chapter 26 this evening, and then we read with that from the Heidelberg Catechism about the Lord's Supper. Matthew 26, we read about the institution of the Lord's Supper at the end of our scripture reading here. We're going to read the first 30 verses of Matthew 26, beginning at verse 1, God's holy word. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be, be, will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask, a very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said to them, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day 
when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. God's holy word. If you take out the the Forms and Prayers book and the seat in front of you and turn to page 230, you'll see we're moving on in our study here from baptism to the Lord's Supper. If you're visiting with us tonight, the Heidelberg Catechism is it's a question-answer format of teaching. It's a, one of the confessions that we use in the church here. It was written in the 1500s, but the truth in it is based on God's Word, and so it's continually true and relevant. And we're up to page 230 to questions and answers 75, 76, and 77. Question 75 asks, how does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his benefits? It answers in this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in remembrance of him. With this command comes these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, So surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of him who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. Question 76 then asks, what does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood? It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ and in this way to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But it means more through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And so although he is in heaven and we are on earth, We are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, and we forever live on and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. And finally, on the next page, question 77, where does Christ promise to nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood as surely as they eat this broken bread and drink this cup? Answer, in the institution of the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The promise is repeated by Paul in these words, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Let's bow our heads to ask that God would bless his word to us this evening. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for the teaching of your word, for the truth, so that we can know the meaning of the sacraments that you've given to us. And we pray that you would instruct us tonight, even in things that are in some ways mysterious to us, and yet, O Lord, that we might know how to come to the Lord's table in faith, with eyes upon Christ. And we pray, Lord, that we would understand something 
of how it is you have chosen to bless us. So help us, we pray tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Congregation of Christ, next Lord's Day, we plan to celebrate the, the Lord's Supper. Come to the Lord's table or participate in Holy Communion, as it's called. And, and so we look forward to that. And we, we do so believing, don't we, that the preaching of the gospel and the two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are the main way in which God wants to feed and nourish his church. And we belong to the tradition of those who have said that he who would have God as his father must have the church as his mother. Meaning that God puts us in the church. It's, it's in the womb of the church by the ministry of the gospel that we're born again. And being born again as God's children, he doesn't leave us destitute to find our own way in this world. But, but he, through the ministry of the church, is pleased to nurture and to nourish us and to guide us and to shape us and to bring us all the way to heaven. And there are some, of course, who have misunderstood the sacraments, making them, if you could say it, making perhaps too much out of them when they have emphasized maybe the sacraments over the preaching of the word and push the pulpit aside to make the Lord's Supper the main thing. And we say, no, the primary means of grace must be the preaching because the sacraments mean nothing apart from the proclamation of the promises. They're just appendixes to the promises. But there are others, and we know this, don't we, in our country especially, it seems, in this era where, where the sacraments aren't considered to be very important at all. And so the two visual aids that God has given to us are themselves sort of pushed to the side, and instead it's other sights and sounds. It's drama, or it's movie clips, or it's stage props that are the visuals now for people to look at. And we want to hear the word of Christ, that, that he and his great care for his church has given us the visual aids we need, the touchable, tangible things in the sacraments. And those are to be helps for our faith as they signify and seal to us the reality of the promises that are preached to us. So we should come to the Lord's table next week with expectation that this is the meal the Lord has given us in which he is pleased to bless those who will trust him. Let's look at the Lord's Supper tonight where we learn of the fellowship and communion we must have with Christ And we must have that communion with Christ in three places tonight, at his appointment, at his cross, and at his table. I'll explain those to you, but three ways or three uh, things that we might use to remember what the sacrament is all about, that we commune with Christ at his appointment, number one, at his cross, number two, and at his table, number three. Well, first of all, when I say we have to commune with Christ as appointment, we're saying that the Lord's Supper is meaningful because Christ appointed it. Christ gave it to us. Christ instituted it. This, this Lord's Supper is not something that we came up with. It's, it's what Jesus Christ gave to us. In the Catechism, we, we confess in answer 75 that Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat and to drink. Not only is the sacrament all about Jesus, about his broken body and shed blood, but the sacrament is provided by Christ. And that's worthy of our attention because the the value of the Lord's Supper is proportionate to the one who's given it to us. The one who's given to to us is, is our Lord and our Savior. And you know, if ever we 
come to the Lord's Supper and we think to ourselves, I don't know if there's much to this. I don't know if we should really make much of it. We should really just go back to the gospel accounts and see where it was that Christ instituted this meal. It is a a most wonderful thing to see, isn't it, that Christ appointed the Lord's Supper on the eve of his death, right? Jesus Christ, knowing the agonies that awaited him, knowing that he would suffer the wrath and curse of God, knowing that he'd be cast out and forsaken of God, and all of this weighing down on him, yet Jesus Christ has his eye upon his people and appoints this meal. Jesus Christ doesn't just go to the cross to fulfill his assignment, to die for us, but he considers his assignment also to bring us to faith and to nurture us in that faith. Jesus' heart in Matthew 26 is no doubt heavy. The agony of the cruel cross, the terror of being cut off from God, and yet he so loves his sheep that he appoints here. In the middle of it all, he suppresses his pain in order to institute this meal. Reminds me in some ways about the mother I heard of. One pastor talking about the mother who was dying when her children were young. And she called each one to her bedside. Took hold of each one and said, I want to see you in heaven. She sought to minister to them. She, in her dying moments, had her eyes not just upon her circumstance and upon her pain, but upon her her little ones. And yet, for a Christian mother, it's a great comfort to know, isn't it, that what she could not do, Christ can do. On the eve of his death, he not only gives this institution of the Lord's Supper, but he furnishes a table for his people to be fed throughout the ages. What we plan to celebrate next week is is the very thing that Christ was appointing for us here in this passage. Jesus stooping down to provide for his sheep. And so we see a Savior full of love for his people. He's not indifferent, but he's the sympathetic high priest. And by appointing this meal, he's assuming his guardianship of our souls, isn't he? he? He's taking his rightful place over us as our Lord and our Master and our Shepherd. He's saying, it's my task to feed you and to keep you and to get you to heaven, and I'm going to do that. We're called to appreciate that about the Lord's Supper, that Jesus has taken responsibility for our souls. He is the shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures, who leads us beside the still waters, who restores our souls, who prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And he will pursue us with his goodness all the way till we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we know, brothers and sisters, that because Christ instituted the meal, and because he instituted the Lord's Supper on the eve of his death, that it matters. That the Lord's Supper matters. It's not a meaningless or worthless token, but it's a perpetual ordinance given to his church to celebrate and to be fed till we see Jesus' face. Until he returns. He's a good Lord. He's a good master. He's a good shepherd. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. It's a command. We commune with Christ as appointment because he commands us. 
He doesn't leave it up to us as believers to say, well, I don't know if I should come or not come. I don't know if it matters or doesn't matter. He who's taken responsibility for our souls has said, come and eat and live. So if we're not right with a brother or sister and we say, well, I can't come because I'm not right. Jesus says, get right. Humble yourself and go confess your sin and get right and come. Or if we're walking in sin tonight, we're living in sin, and we know that I should not come. I'm, I'm not living for the Lord. I haven't given up my sin. Christ says, give up your sin, repent, and come. It's a command. Or if we say to ourselves, well, I believe, but my faith is so weak. I need to get a better faith and then come. Jesus says, no. The table is for those who are weak in faith, that you might be strengthened. Come. This is the calling. We've been considering the past week's baptism. Baptism is a little different sacrament, isn't it? It's a one-time sacrament because it, it signifies to us regeneration, being united with Christ, which happens one time. So we, we are baptized but one time. But the Lord's Supper signifies and seals the feeding of our souls, and we need that through our whole pilgrim journey. And so Christ has come. In all of his love and tender care for his people, he's appointed a feast for us to be fed. So we commune with Christ at his appointment. Notice, secondly, tonight we commune with Christ at his cross. We commune with Christ at his cross. The, the elements of the Lord's Supper are bread and wine. And what are they pointing to? That's the nature of sacraments. They, by a physical, visible element, water, bread and wine, they point to something. What do the bread and wine point to? Well, they point to the cross of Jesus, to the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. And it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? The cross of Jesus can seem so distant and so far from our lives, but when we hold that bread, when we feel it in our mouth, when we taste that wine, the cross of Jesus has never seemed more real. The supper is all about Christ's work for us. We don't come to the Lord's table to declare to God all we've done for him. We come to the table to remember what Jesus did for us. That he took our place upon that curse. That he stepped into our place beneath the wrath of God for our sins. That in the supper Christ is assuring us of his accomplishment and of the fact that we have a share in what he did. In the Catechism it puts it so wonderfully when it says that that we have these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. You see, the gospel is brought home to us in the sacrament, isn't it? It's not just that Jesus died for sinners, but, but as surely as I'm now tasting this bread and this wine, and believing on the Lord Jesus, I'm given the confidence that he died with my name on his mind, with my sins on his back. He died for me. Jesus has connected the bread and the wine 
two promises. He's connected his promises to the bread and the wine. Jesus, in Matthew 26, he not only gives the command, take and eat, but he says, this is my body. And he says, with the cup, this is my blood of the new covenant. Now, in these words, what's Jesus doing? Does he actually think the bread is literally his body or the cup of wine is literally his blood? Well, obviously not. He's standing before them. His body's not even broken yet. But he's connecting in a very powerful way the promise that his body will be broken and his blood shed with these physical elements of bread and wine and bringing them together. He's speaking in sacramental language. The nature of a sacrament is that it's a sign. It's not the reality. If the bread was the body of Jesus, it wouldn't be a sign of the body of Jesus. It would be the body of Jesus. But, 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 but he's holding these two things very closely together, the bread and his body, so that we might have assurance. You see, that's what the sacrament is about. It's about assuring us. We can't see the gospel. We hear it preached. We can't see forgiveness of sins. We hear it proclaimed. We can't see our union with Jesus Christ. We hear it announced. Sometimes our faith, you know, all the time our faith is weak. Sometimes we have doubts. Jesus says, I'll give you something you can see and touch and feel and know it's that real. That's how real it is that I died for you and bore all your sins away. These ordinary elements of ordinary bread and wine are set apart by the promises to be for us symbols, pointing to that, and seals, authenticating and confirming to us the reality. As surely as I see, as surely as I taste so really, isn't it marvelous? Jesus knows we need this kind of comfort and certainty, don't we? We have, we have so many uncertainties. We worry about so many different things. We worry about relationships and about finances and about jobs and about health and all these things. But the greatest worry any of us could have is this. Is God against me? Or is God for me? Jesus says, I want to give you comfort. We want to give you comfort that God is reconciled to you. Sometimes we feel like complete spiritual losers, right? We've fallen to the same sins again. We're so weak. We've been so small compared to the responsibilities and opportunities God has given to us. Can God love me? Did Jesus die for me? Satan comes and he accuses us and he mocks us and he seeks to bring us low. And Jesus says, taste for you. I loved you. I died for you. I reconciled you to God. This is my body given for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. powerful it is to eat and drink believing those promises to taste the reality to taste the forgiveness of sins to taste the favor of our father to taste the truth that jesus loves me we commune with christ at his gracious appointment we commune with christ at his wonderful cross finally tonight we commune with christ 
at his table. At his table. The table represents two things, doesn't it? Food and fellowship. Food and fellowship. Why did Christ choose food as the symbols for his body and blood? He didn't choose food for baptism, right? We don't pour grape juice over our head. He chose water for a reason, didn't he? To signify washing. But, well, why did Jesus choose food, bread and wine, to represent his body and his blood? Well, the answer, as you know, is because he was assuring us that he is our food unto eternal life. Jesus says in John chapter 6, I am the living bread that came down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. And he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Jesus is not calling for a physical chewing on his body, despite the fact that the early Christians were slandered with the accusation of cannibalism because of this very language, right? The bread remains bread. The wine remains wine. But by the Holy Spirit, we are... So united to Jesus Christ, lifted up to our Christ, that we have a communion with him, with the whole Christ, God and man, with Jesus a true man, body and soul. We have a full fellowship with our full Savior in terms of all that he is and all that he has done for us. And that's why answer 75 in the second half of the catechism answer says, Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of him who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. All the saving efficacy of Christ's broken body and shed blood is ours. Jesus gave us food to represent the reality that he's pleased to strengthen us and nourish us and fill us with his life. We get weary in this life, don't we? Our faith gets assaulted. We feel like we don't have the strength to fight on. We say sometimes, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And Jesus says, you can't do it anymore in your strength. But I pour my strength into your empty life. The Lord's Supper, the bread and wine, are the pledge that Jesus will feed you spiritually. And he will feed you all the way to heaven. So you'll never run out of resource. You'll never be left as a a homeless or destitute person wondering where your next meal will come from. Because Christ is going to feed you with his life. So the sacrament seals to us the realities that are preached to us. And we're given the comfort that Christ not only died for us, but Christ is going to nourish us. The table signifies food, but it also signifies fellowship. Where Jesus instituted this Lord's Supper was at the Passover 
Passover was an annual feast, right? God's people remembered how they did not suffer the wrath of the angel of death, but the angel passed over them and they were saved. And here Christ is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. He's enjoying a meal with them, a, a fellowship with them, a covenant meal. And in the intimacy of this friendship with them, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper as a covenant meal. We talk a lot about the covenant, right? The covenant is that rich relationship between God and his people, in which he said, I will be your God, you'll be my people. God made promises of blessings, and he put upon us obligations to respond in faith. And in Matthew 26, Jesus says, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, the new covenant was prophesied by Jeremiah, chapter 31. God said, I'm going to make a new covenant with my people. And he said, Jeremiah 31, verse 32, It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God's people in the Old Testament broke covenant with the Lord, didn't they? And God's saying, I'm going to do something more for you. I'm going to pour out my spirit in a richer manner. I'm going to give you more. Christ is going to come. But the new covenant is just the fulfillment of the old covenant, right? It's not that God switches to plan B, but it's that he now sends his son to bring to fulfillment the things proclaimed. And in those words of Jeremiah 31, God says they broke covenant, though God was a husband to them. Though God was a husband to them. That's interesting as you, as you read in the Heidelberg Catechism in answer 76, that in the supper we are united to Christ, to Christ, united more and more to Christ's blessed body. It says, and so although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. Where does that language come from? Well, it's taken up in Ephesians 5 to speak of the marriage between Christ and his church. But, you know, it came originally, didn't it, from, from Genesis when, when God gave the man, he created for the man a woman. And, and he sang, this at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And then it's taken up in Ephesians to describe the, the great union between Christ and his church. And now it's spoken of here in terms of the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is the feast of that covenantal union between Christ and his people. Something glorious is happening in the Lord's Supper. That's what we believe. That as we eat and drink in faith, the bread that's just bread and the wine that's just wine, yet as we eat and drink in faith, believing the sure promises of Jesus, there is a spiritual communion that goes on. We are lifted, as it were, up to heaven. Christ comes down, as it were, to us. There is a bond made by the Holy Spirit in which we commune with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are bone of bone and flesh of flesh. We are closer than any husband or wife 
are. Our bond with the Lord Jesus is more real than any physical, emotional connection between any husband or wife. We, in a glorious and mysterious way, are united with our Savior, and we truly commune with him. And our tired and hungry souls are refreshed and renewed, and we are strengthened and enlivened with his life, and he pours out his love and grace upon us. We talk about means of grace, preaching and sacraments, or the means of grace. Sometimes we we think that grace is some commodity that we have separated from Jesus, but it's not the case. Grace is, is what's enjoyed in fellowship with Christ. And we have fellowship with Jesus, not just with the riches of his salvation, but we have fellowship with the Christ himself. And so we come to the table with expectancy that something most glorious is happening. Jesus Christ, the host, is present. That he is pleased by his spirit to communicate himself to us. To give us the comfort that he loves us and died for us to impart new energy and life to our wearied souls in this world, to drive away the doubts and the accusations of the evil one and to fill us with confidence again that Jesus bore it all for me. All my sin is taken away. I'm completely reconciled to God and I will have everything I need until the day I see Christ's face because he will never let go of me. What a wonderful thing it is that's a table. It's not an altar. It's not a re-sacrificing of Jesus again. But it's the benefit of Christ's once for all death being communicated to us. What a gift our Savior gives us. And how he is pleased to give us all that we need. Will you take Christ to this word? Will you hear the appointment he gives to you? Will you humble yourself and say, I'm a needy sinner. I have no life in myself. I, I have no righteousness that can stand before God. But I hear the summons of the Savior. I see what he's appointed. And in repentance and faith, I will come. And I will eat. And I will drink. And I will live. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for our Lord Jesus, for his abundant love for his church. Lord, we're overwhelmed with his great care that he, even in his preparations of death, was so concerned with his flock that he would appoint for us a meal that would be for us life throughout the course of our earthly sojourn. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us the humility and grace we need to take Christ at his word and not to be distracted and to try to substitute man's inventions for the gifts that Christ has given. And we pray, God, that you would bring us next week to eat and drink and to eat and drink in faith and eating and drinking in faith to take hold of and to enjoy all the riches that you spread upon the table for us. Hear our prayer, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.